Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. Political freedom is the ecclesiastical legatee of religious animosities. There, I said it. That's impressive. Welcome back to the third hour of the Seth Liebson Show brought to you by the Patriot, by the um, veteran-owned Midas Gold Group, your trusted source for precious metals. Hugh Hallman and Lewis Hallman are my guests. Lewis Hallman and Hugh Hallman join us almost every Tuesday afternoon. Uh, they are respectively, except since I reversed it all, sorry, Lewis Hallman is the managing director of Insight Analytics. Hugh Hallman is the former mayor of Tempe, a lawyer in town, among many other things, an educator. And I have a feeling Lewis and I are going to get to steer this without you for a couple of weeks or have to steer it without you for a couple of weeks because you will be returning to Asia. I will be in Central Asia, which, of course, is Kazakhstan. Yeah. Wonderful. You also had a wonderful birthday, I understand. Uh, Well, getting older is not necessarily uh, wonderful, but it is better than the alternative. And you celebrated it by running a half marathon. Half marathon. I did uh, not my best. I did it in two hours and six minutes and about – 38 seconds. You did great. Um, well, I finished it. I didn't get the DLBF trophy. Dead last, but finished. <laughs> you, you, you beat uh, every group you were part of. You beat, uh, or at least you, you came in a th- uh, at least 30% under every group you were a part of. That is the entire race. That is your gender, and that is your age. That's, that is pretty, that's pretty good. And I'm 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 okay, and yeah. you know Lewis is uh, Lewis was a better runner than I ever. Is that right, was, Lewis? So. We got to get you out a there. Definite right? emphasis on was. Yeah, uh, you, yeah. You, I, I am uh, much much lazier now that I'm not obligated to do a uh, high school cross country. Well, if there That's were only a long some... time ago, Lou. I know it's twelve <laughs> years ago. Oh my God! <laughs> if there were only something in the news to talk about. If only you know, uh, if there were a midwestern state that had caucuses that nobody understands because they're caucuses instead of primaries, uh, which had an interesting result. There's something. The law, the 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 tons of writing before and after last night um, is hard to keep up with. But the single best piece with the most important nuggets in it belongs to Brett Stevens from about a week ago in the New York Times. Agreed. And I spoke a little bit about it on the show. But if either of you want to distill any thoughts from it or last night, we're here for you. I will set the table and then Lewis can uh, turn it over, pull at any any of the threads I, I put down in this cloth. But the Stevens piece effectively is a statement that here's why voters support Donald Trump in ways that the left does not want to acknowledge. He does. He writes a very long piece trying to tease out uh, the bases in which uh, voters might legitimately support President Trump. You saw the outcome last night in Iowa. He did not win Iowa in 2016, and now he's won Iowa for this time around. Uh, I do think the numbers are more devastating for uh, Ron DeSantis than anyone else, Mm -hmm. Uh, and we can get into that. But let's let's take your your table setting and say what Stevens is talking about are – 
what I think your listeners know intuitively. And it's not always easy to articulate. Uh, and then when one does, the ease with which the left belittles you for being a fool or a scoundrel uh, is, is how they've approached everything. So as one example, the left decrying Donald Trump's approach to the media and his statements, uh, while at the same time having, and you speak of this in your monologue today, and that's what's, uh, let's tie that in as well. If you didn't uh, hear the monologue live, ladies and gentlemen, go to the website and uh, listen to the podcast, because the monologue talks about the fact that the major news outlets cut away from Donald Trump's victory speech while filling their airwaves with other people's commentary and, and speeches, and then claiming that somehow they were avoiding publishing falsehoods by not covering Donald Trump. They had made the uh, unique decision that covering him supplies too much falsehood into the airwaves, while, as the monologue describes, we put up with uh, Anthony Fauci making stuff up, counter uh, uh, countervailing his statements, is that even right? The uh, contradicting, contradicting himself, himself sure. repeatedly. Countervailing statements. Yeah, yeah right. uh, repeatedly in uh, his uh, statements during uh, the main part of our pandemic, and now even more recently has described uh, the falsehoods behind the idea of separation by six feet, those kinds of falsehoods. Well, he was happy to lie about it. And the media was happy to cover those falsehoods, even as he was untangling them and uh, restating uh, new falsehoods. And there was no sense that that kind of behavior should in any way, shape or form be moderated or uh, or eliminated from the airwaves. So Stevens goes on to talk about examples like that, that the left has gone after Trump for misstating the, the facts, while many people on the left have done exactly that. He uh, points out that Americans like law and order, and Donald Trump stood with police officers while the left only did so after January 6th of uh, uh, the, 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 the riotous moment that they like to point to, that uh, during the prior summer of, of hate and damage, uh, we had uh, the left happy about uh, many, many people dying in the in the floggings of Los Angeles and uh, uh, Oregon and, and Seattle. Uh, Seattle and Scottsdale Fashion Square. Let's not forget we had it even here. And so he's pointing out the hypocrisy of the left in their approach to Donald Trump and the failure of the left to understand that there are legitimate reasons why good, sensible, smart Americans will support Donald Trump. And I've just given you a few examples of that. Um, Lewis might have m more thoughts. Yeah, absolutely. I'm actually really thrilled that the media is taking this tack, that they have not yet realized that after eight years, effectively, of this conversation, that that the, the opinions about Donald Trump are well known. Uh, Nothing that they do is really preventing the the furtherance of information. All that they are doing, all that MSNBC is doing by not showing Trump's victory speech, they're not censoring the fact that Trump won in Iowa. The information will still spread. What they are doing is that they are still signaling to their base that this is a deathly concern for them and that uh, there needs to be an information blackout. And this is a strategy that is going to be increasingly ineffective for a couple of reasons. First of all, it betrays cowardice. 
that the left is so scared that that they cannot tolerate the fact that you might hear what this presidential candidate has to say. The more rebellious, the more uh, independent will then go and find out for themselves what's being said. And that will then betray the media's position as vacillating and weak. That's fine. But what I'm really happy about is that we start, we're starting to see, I think, a real gelling of the Republican Party. I'd, I'd been concerned, really, especially over the back half of 2023, that the Republican Party would not be able to align behind Trump and would, would uh, instead fall prey to some of the electoral backbiting that so often plagues the Democratic Party. Effectively, the Republican Party is made up of social conservatives, fiscal conservatives, and national conser- uh, security conservatives. Those three groups have their own core issues, but they don't have issues that are mutually exclusive to one another. You can get them to agree as long as you trade on all of their key points of emphasis. The Democrats, by contrast, are made up of three main groups. Those are largely women, minorities, and organized labor. These three groups, by contrast, don't really agree on much of anything other than the fact that they don't like conservatives. And so when you actually start creating hard public policy, that's when you start to see explosions within the DNC because they can't coordinate activity. This in, is in, why fa- in fact, think of it as a pie. And I think it is a, an appropriate analogy here. The Democrats have a pie and they're trying to divide it up, each grabbing uh, the biggest slice they can get. And there's only so much pie to go around. And not unironically, Republicans see that the pie can always be made bigger by success and continuing to develop. At the same time, the interests of those three groups don't require one to give up any pie to get uh, to feed the others. And so the reason that the media is so desperate to keep attacking Donald Trump is because of this key weakness in their own party. If they actually spent time talking about democratic issues, they would weaken themselves. And so, in fact, this suggests to me highlighting the differences. Yeah, yeah, this suggests to me that one of the ways in which the, the Republicans could be very effective potentially is to highlight these distinctions and force the Democrats to talk about policy positions within their parties, make these these disagreements better known and then really start hammering on that. In, in fact, that is. Uh, Joe Biden's biggest problem. He keeps trying to approach this as a policy debate. And as he explains his policy positions, he loses votes. That is why he's polling so badly, even in his own demographics. Democrats have to run on charismatic candidates like the Obama play in 2008. If you talk to the issues, they lose. Let me uh, let me let me try and unite some of those thoughts in my own in my own uh, verbiage when we come right back. Hugh Hallman and Lou Hallman are my guests and we will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Hugh Hallman and Lewis Hallman, my guests, coming to you from the Patriot Broadcast Studio, which is brought to you by the veteran-owned Midas Gold Group, your trusted source for precious metals. Doing a little bit of analysis on last night, Hugh and Lewis. Um, great comments. Let me uh, add a uh, another element to this um, to this cauldron and see if we can turn up some heat here. The um, the left is driven crazy by the fact that they are watching someone they think crude potentially being elected to the presidency by a populace they think crude. Um, You saw this in 2016 with Basket of Deplorables, and you saw something very smartly written by Peggy Noonan at the time when she said that The problem 
the left will never understand the more they talk like this is there is a whole broad half of this country, if not more, that doesn't like to be told they're stupid when they know they're not. Joy Reid on MSNBC last night may have given a little bit of that farm away when she said, all the things that we think about, electability and what people are doing in Iowa, none of it matters when you believe that God has given you this country, that it's yours, and that everyone who is not white conservative Christian is a fraudulent American, is a less real American. Close quote. That's what this vote is about for Donald Trump. She doesn't understand that Iowa is probably one of the least racist states in the country, even though its population is about 98 percent white, twice voting for Barack Obama, the first time by 10 points, the second time by about eight points, about against the whitest Republican candidates you could find in John McCain and Mitt Romney, one of the first states in the country to desegregate, even when there was very little to desegregate over, whose parents, she of minority minority character, uh, minority um, um, uh, race, her parents met meeting, having met at the University of Iowa. Um, This dismissal of the entire Republican Party as either racist or telling of lies and not thus worthy to be on television, Um, at the same time, creating this myth that Joe Biden is promulgating by talking about them representing the end and death of democracy is at a certain point not just dismissive to half the country, but insulting to it, but largely betrays, I think, the Democrats' understanding of the rest of this country. I think they are in such a particular loop, such an echo chamber, that they actually believe this nonsense. They actually believe this nonsense, while the person who is probably most about to give Donald Trump some run for some money in New Hampshire and South Carolina is going to be an Indian American man whose cabinet had more firsts, including the first gay American on the cabinet, not Pete Buttigieg. They say he's the first. He wasn't. He's the second. Trump had the first. It's just a total misunderstanding of not only the Republican Party, but I think a huge part of America that they are wedded to with an ideological rigidity they cannot let go of. Well, you just described it as if you voted for Donald Trump, you're a racist and you're stupid. That's it. And it's not just the people who voted for Donald Trump who hear that. Others hear that, too, who have reason to think I might have voted for Donald Trump or I would support Donald Trump. And it is the same kind of concept that has one listening to the Democrats and say they're claiming that Donald Trump is bad for democracy, going to overthrow democracy, while in the name of saving democracy, they are destroying democracy by having unelected officials in Maine or court in Colorado remove Donald Trump's name from the ballot. The most undemocratic actions I know of during my lifetime. We are not stupid. And even those of us who would not otherwise have voted for Donald Trump are being led in that direction precisely because we know there are completely legitimate bases for agreeing with the policies, even if we don't like the person. Which will get us back to Brett Stevens in a moment. Lewis, yes. So 
you you started this this discussion uh, with the understanding that the the Democrats object to vulgarity, and I actually don't think that that's the issue. It's not vulgarity. If you look at the the, the Democratic base, it is full of vulgarity. Porn advocacy is vulgar. Climate activists gluing themselves to painting is vulgar. People rioting and burning down buildings is vulgar. It's not vulgarity that is the problem. It's the lack of compliance. These are soft totalitarians that believe themselves to be intellectually and morally superior. And in doing so, they, it, because they have a, an effective monopoly on education, they are confused and conflate the number of PhDs in their party with a monopoly on factual and moral truth. And because of this, they then want to assume and castigate the rest of us and get us to go in line. Right. That we're the, fools. It is that we're stupid. It is the sinfulness of our actions, right? The fact that, that we would dare to be heretics that is so offensive, Right, that we will not uh, uh, bend our knee and praise the science, for instance, is that, is the core of the reason that the the Democratic prob, uh, Party has a problem with the types of people that are generally Republicans. We we don't disagree with that, Lou. But the point is, the the very person he was quoting from is essentially saying that anybody who would vote for Donald Trump is a racist and anti democratic right. and stupid. And while that comes from that font. The, 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 the basis of how they got there to think that anybody who disagrees with them is stupid, anti-democratic uh, and the like has to do more with their failure to understand all these unwashed people, these wogs out here that they believe unworthy. I think all of this is correct. And I'm glad you used the word vulgarity because I do think there is a part of this that includes that word. The Greek word for vulgarity is beautiful. Or excuse me, it's the absence of things beautiful, aparicolia, the absence of things beautiful. And in my previous statements, I said all of it is about them losing to an ideology they are so wedded to. And I think when you look at their ideology and what that ideology is, that very ideology, I will call it Marxism, is implicit in everything you described that is to us vulgar, the boys and girls, the walking naked through the uh, the bus, the public transit system in Phoenix over the weekend in front of children, the trans shows. All of that comes from, I think, a Marxist perspective about the role of nature, the role of family, and the role of authority. A thesis I'd throw into the mix. Right, that Marxists believe that there is a, a mutable human character that they can then take this clay and mold it into something different and I happen to believe, and I believe you happen to believe, that there is uh, a, a n nature and nature's God, that there is a natural law, and that there are human traits and characteristics that are immutable, and that we try to then look for the truth, not your truth, as an example. When we come back, could we have a, a discussion potentially about how we might recapture this vulgarity and use it to our, our best advantage? Yeah, you bet. That's great. And we got to get to this line that Brett Stevens, I think, explains so much of this so well. But we have time. Lewis Holman and Hugh Holman, my guests, Inside Analytics, former mayor of Tempe, attorney, educator, and little old me. We'll be right back. <laughs> Coming to you from KKNT, not WKRP, but welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show with 
Hugh Holman and Lewis. I got to get you guys to guest host again when you're all back in town. What did you call it? You had a funny name for it. it oh, it was something the zone. Slop Seth Liebson occupied protest. I think is what we called based it. Based on the Seattle experiment. It's based off of the chop thing. Yeah, yeah. That's what we were another doing. Marxist experiment of the left that the Democrats let ruin their city. And they go they ahead. now don't speak to. So so we right. were, we yeah. were, go ahead. Yeah, we were talking before the break about. Why the uh, the left and the media is so outraged by the prospect of, of Donald Trump, and, and we, we're coming at this through the through the lens of, of vulgarity, talking about the idea that it isn't necessarily the fact that Trump is vulgar that that uh, offends these people, but that uh, Trump and Trump supporters are non-compliant. And I, w- I was thinking more compliant with their views. Correct. Yeah. yeah, we we were talking a little bit about the etymology of the word vulgar that you, you'd mentioned, and it, it sparked a thought in me yes. in that. Uh, when we think about the the pro- proliferation of uh, the written word, uh, this is uh, the replacement generally of the Latin Bible with uh, Vulgate. Mm-hmm. Vulgar, right. Yep. right. And, and Vulgate right. is the common right. tongue. It is the right. common language. Right. And so what I find very interesting right now is that we have this new priestly <laughs> class – these these uh, scientists, I will say, if by scientist I mean one Experts. who reveres scientism, not a true scientist, right. uh, uh, who who then uh, uh, is lecturing the entire middle of the country about how to behave, how to be clean, and uh, uh, what relationships should look like, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's fascinating to me that it is indeed that the. As it was in the Enlightenment, we are now waiting for our own Vulgate, those in our own hinterlands, our own exurbs, our own suburbs, to effectively realize the power of the common man, to, to realize the ability that they have to influence culture and, and, and to throw back these experts. And they do this exact topic every four years. The reason that these people are so panicked is precisely the power of, this, of these vulgar people, of this basket of deplorables, because they, they revolted in 2016. They tried to revolt again in 2020, and it looks now that they will succeed again in 2024. And this is a terrifying prospect to this priestly class who is desperate to have our compliance. That's good stuff. I got to tell you, Lou, right on the air. That was all great stuff. And I'm going to now bring it down to an example of how the vulgar uh, among us understand something that the left does not. And this is where we're going to bring come back to Brett Stevens' uh, piece in the New York Times. He is explaining why voters can vote for Donald Trump and demonstrate to the left that there are rational reasons to do this. And I quote, Enforcing control of the border, whether through a wall, a fence, or some other mechanism, isn't racism. It's a basic requirement of statehood and peoplehood, which any nation has an obligation to protect and cherish. He continues, A national culture is sustained by common memories, ideals, laws, and language, which newcomers should honor, adopt, and learn as a requirement of entry. It isn't a giant, uh, it isn't a, a giant arrival gate for anyone and everyone who wants to take advantage of American abundance and generosity, unquote. He's now stated the case that Donald Trump made in running for the presidency in 16 and then seeking to sustain a border uh, regime that allowed legal immigration to continue, but stopped illegal immigration. And yet, just this week, the New York Times has a piece explaining how Donald Trump got it wrong. 
they do note, you know, that that poor Joe Biden had 300,000 people who were caught coming across the border. Let's not talk about those who weren't even caught coming across the border. And I think Seth sort of did the numbers loosely that Joe Biden's worst month was more than Donald Trump's worst year. And yet the New York Times tries to pretend that Donald Trump didn't actually address successfully the staunching of illegal immigration. I mean, it's complete nonsense. And they're making this stuff up as they go along, trying to create facts to then sustain their own positions. We talked about that last week, that the New York Times takes an article, posits a fact with questionable sources, and then weeks later starts citing their own article as the proof of the fact that's still in contention. That's exactly how this dialectic process continues in trying to convince the population of these United States and their own, as you said, Lewis, base that they are right. And that's where I think you are correct, Lou, in your earlier comments. When you look at the list of the news outlets that that uh, cut Donald Trump Trump short, CNN, MSNBC, NBC, ABC, CBS, PBS, NPR, their demographic is narrowing and narrowing. And so now they are they are preaching to their own choir repeatedly. And even those people are raising questions about their veracity. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson show. Hugh Holman and Lewis Holman are my guests. And um, the line that set me off and set off a lot of this discussion uttered by Rachel Maddow last night was there is a cost to knowingly broadcasting untrue things. What they're worried about is the cost of broadcasting true things. That's what they're worried about, which is why they are the ones who have disinformation boards, why they are the ones who want to interfere with social media and communications and town hall meetings and school board meetings. That's what they're worried about is us um, calling the emperor naked um, when everyone else wants to say he's fully. There's also the moral cost to the priestly class of, of of broadcasting things that they fear. Yes, there is that as well. What Brett Stevens said in what you quoted, uh, Mr. Hallman, was um, I think the key fight in the culture right now, where he says a natural a national culture is sustained by common memories, ideals, laws, and language. It isn't just a giant arrival gate for anyone and everyone who wants to take advantage of American abundance and generosity. What do you think BLM was about? What do you think Hey, Hey, Ho, Ho, Western Civ has got to go about was about? It was about all this iconoclasm because they don't believe in that. What do you think calling our founding systemically racist and that our country today still being systemically racist is all about? What do you think this professoriate and the kinds of stuff Claudine Gay writes about and teaches about or Ibrahim Kendi writes about or the ignoring of everything Martin Luther King said great about our Constitution and our Declaration of Independence being censored from the public scene is all about? It's about erasing that national culture and the idea of assimilation, which is what Donald Trump spoke to when he mocked, mocked, got mocked for saying, but in a, in a way, elementally was right in saying we got to shut this thing down until we can figure it all out. Lewis. I I think Mr. Stevens actually in that quote uh, draws out to me one of the big differences in how the left and the right view the very uh, construct of citizenship and the nation state. Uh, You know, when uh, Mr. Stevens says that that our, our culture is sustained by those memories, ideals, laws, and the language to which newcomers need to assimilate. That has sort of the, the, the presupposition that there is an American culture 
that there there is a thing that we are having new people integrate into. And so there's this idea of American culture as this enduring thing with known qualities, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And I think that the left totally throws this idea out the window. I think that the left's assessment of American culture is that it must and necessarily be a reflection of exactly those people who are currently in the country now without any historical root or attachment to what has been. Uh, you know, and, and, and that has been the concern of education and educators for so long. Do you remember E.D. Hirsch's work on cultural literacy and how it's important to have a common argot? You know, Lincoln gave a wonderful speech in 1858 called the Electric Cord Speech, where he was talking about how we are going to give the immigrant the same view of America of those who were born here. And he said it's through the electric cord of 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 the words from the Declaration of Independence that they are those who believe in that as much our blood as blood as those who were born here. It's the same thing John Crivacour wrote. In his notes from an American farmer about who is this new American who leaves behind his old nation, his old customs, and becomes part of this new thing that is – the point being the left doesn't want any of that. Right. They because it, it falls that. under the precept of nationalism. And, and the left Correct. will take all nationalism Correct. and describe it all as Correct. scary Hitler race nationalism. Correct. Where instead, we need to do a very, very much better job, I think, making the case for civic nationalism. Correct. Well, keeping in mind that is a Marxist goal of there is not to be a nationalism. Right. Their fundamental premise is that we will all join together, our, our arms and hands together as one people, without an understanding is there are differences in culture. And the American culture that got developed here, beginning in the 1600s, is one that does require some understanding of that Western philosophy, those principles on which our founders created the foundation that on which this society is built, that we have noted come from the Middle East originally, that we are borrowing through the, the uh, long arc of history of Rome and Greece and other developments, what became the American way. It is not just Western, but it is a world view that got uh, reduced here through a lot of heat to create a philosophy that sustains us all and maximizes our individual opportunity while minimizing government intervention to sustain a structure. That's where we are, and that they are turning their backs on the very structure that sustains their opportunity to have these debates in the first instance shouldn't be surprising, because they believe they're going to push us toward a brave new world in which they will control knowledge and everyone will be like them. What they don't understand is the unintended consequences of destroying this very structure where we have open debate and create uh, ideas and solutions to problems depends on those initial philosophical groundings. And when you change the founding of this country from 1776 and the Declaration of Independence and change it to 1619 so you can say we're an inherently racist country, you miss that point. When you don't understand that Abraham Lincoln looked at his career as the arc of trying to move us away from slavery, recognizing it could not happen all at once, that he would push as hard as he possibly could, and ultimately it led to a civil war. This country, as a result of that act, is demonstrated as being something other than a racist country. It is one that is seeking to provide liberty to everyone who yearns for it, including at the time the black man. And that was the crucial 
point of this, that the left now wants to celebrate the losers in the South as if they were the victors. That's correct. And ignore entirely the majority of the country putting itself to the effort to overcome slavery and stop the South from seceding. That's right. The left is the new lost cause inheritor uh, using the interpretation of American history that Jefferson Davis used. Correct. There's no question, but they that want is true. the losers. It's so interesting how strong the ideological part of this is. Lewis, I'm going to have you conclude on however you see this, but the ideological strength of this Marxist notion is so strong that you get someone fleeing Somalia given the highest of heights and advantages that this country has to offer in Ilan Omar, only to want to stand up and support the enemies of the America in the Middle East to create a Gaza here as much as a Gaza there. That's how strong this ideology is. That's how strong this hate is. And you see the counterpoise between someone like Ilan Omar and Ayan Hirsi Ali, who saw it a totally different way from exactly the same country. It's not much more than ideology, but damn it, it's strong. Let me, uh, unless you want to say something really quick, I'll let you conclude with this in the last segment. So uh, I I do want to uh, pick up a little bit when we we do come back about... um, how, how we really tie all of this together okay. and how we attack the hypocrisy and, and weaknesses when they present themselves in a way that then gives us the strength to be victorious on election day. You gave yourself your own assignment. And, and, <laughs> and, and to pick up that last piece, yes, sir. the poison they have swallowed is very, very powerful. Yep. And that is now what's being taught in our universities to young people who are not being exposed to the alternatives. And I dare say elementary and secondary now, which was what Ron DeSantis became famous for fighting in the first place. Full circle. Be right back with Lewis Holman and Hugh Holman. You know the story about this song, right? It's just one of the best stories in the world. Best story in my radio career. The song he wrote this about, the person he the woman he wrote this about is in this audience and has called in a number of times. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. I, I could have retired on our last one. Lewis Holman, would you like to take us home? Absolutely. So we spent uh, a, a lot of time today talking about how the election is moving and where we see the Republican and Democratic parties going and what sort of the, the moral underpinnings of each are. Uh, I want to turn our attention as we close today to how we move forward in this race, how we have conversations with uh, our friends, our loved ones, uh, those who may not disagree, who may not agree with us entirely. And rather than uh, pounding and pounding on uh, the moral failings, I, I, I like to find clear, concrete examples of hypocrisy. And I, I would use the New York State example that's been going on. Uh, I know you guys talked last week about the migrant issues that have been flooding New York uh, with uh, uh, buses from Texas and Louisiana dropping off, uh, I think, 120,000 odd uh, uh, migrants in New York. And the New Yorkers then being very, very upset about this. Now, New York is a is a declared themselves a sanctuary city, and they have been agitating uh, for decades now at this point. Uh, for looser immigration standards because of the fact that they are not geographically proximate to the southern border and therefore don't have to deal with the consequences. Well, it's, huge numbers of Canadians coming across the border to the south to pick right. asparagus. It's, it's, 
it's shocking to me just how how easy it is to be moral and good and a, a very, very well-meaning leftist when you are personally removed from the consequences of your actions. Now, I would note that in the center of this controversy, right, that New York itself, according to New York state law, it is illegal to bring someone into the state of New York for the sole purpose of making them a recipient of the dole, basically, of getting New York's uh, right to shelter money. But we can't have that as U.S. standard. Exactly right. So New York is saying, New York's position is that you can't bring people inside for the sole purpose of giving them benefits. But their electoral position is that we should be bringing people inside the U.S., but not to New York State, so that we can give them all of our tax dollars, all of these other, uh, other gifts and benefits. And so my position is now, New York... I'm not going to listen to anything that any of you have to say about this at all until you repeal that law from your books and take a morally consistent position on immigration. How about on tickets? And on tickets. That's uh, And on uh, on the parking tickets? Or, no. Or uh, so the other point Lewis has, make, has made is that uh, New York is now, uh, when it uh, tires of someone who's immigrated to the state and they don't have a place to put them, will provide them with a ticket out of the state. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, just so long as you go someplace else. So their, their moral standard uh, ends when they start running out of money and it's cheaper to ship somebody someplace else. Uh, by the way, are they sending notice to those states or countries to which they're sending these migrants uh, as New York now? demands of texas folks thanks for spending some of your uh, afternoon with us some of your hour hour with us hallman's thanks for spending some of your hour with all of your hour with us until tomorrow on behalf of david and the hallman's and miss terry i'm seth leibson god bless and class dismissed